I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast. My name's Emma Fan. Please do rate, review, subscribe. And like and thumbs up on YouTube. Much appreciated there. Joining me today is Josh Lewenberg of TSN and also co-host of the Raptors Beat podcast with Nikki Reyes. Josh, what's up, man? How are things? I'm doing well, Emmett. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Been a interesting morning, interesting evening for the Toronto Raptors. Uh, they coming yeah. off that loss to the Dallas Mavericks. A tough one, a couple of a row, I guess, of, of tough losses for them. They've been competing in a lot of games against good teams, but just can't get those old W's with Josh. Um, we're going to look at kind of the halfway point of the season now and uh, kind of the hopes and dreams of the second part of the season. It's going to be an interesting time for the Raptors. Like I said, um, they kind of have to decide what their what their goal is for the rest of the season. It's been kind of a fun start. Uh, lots of positives to take. There's obviously some low lights, but overall, where they are in the standings, their intention for the play-in tournament, even potentially the, a top six spot if things go well. And they kind of got to decide what they're what they want to what they want to do. Right. Uh, but just to start with you, Josh, uh, going off of the Mavs game last night, I guess takeaways, because it was a hard fought game. And once again, similar to that heat game, they just couldn't uh, close it out in the end. Yeah, it's similar to the Phoenix game from last week, too. So what that's oh, that's yeah. three games in the span of like nine or 10 days where you go toe to toe with one of the elite teams in the NBA. I mean, Dallas is one of the hottest teams in the league right now. Ten wins in their last 11 games. Uh, so you go toe-to-toe -to -toe with these teams, but you don't come out with the win. I mean, they won the game against Milwaukee, but still, given the effort, you'd like to come away with more than one win out of those four games. It, it's tough, right? Because, like, you're encouraged by a lot of what you see during that stretch, and you're probably learning more from that stretch than you are from six straight wins against depleted teams. Mm -hmm. Um but there's frustration and disappointment to some degree. Like I'm, I'm frustrated, but more so with the loss to Detroit, which stung when it happened and probably stings more now because you're like, you play as hard as you did in any of those other games in Detroit. Yeah. You win that game, you're two and three over this five game stretch instead of one and four. And it's a lot easier to digest, but in terms of those losses themselves, like I know there are some people that are frustrated and saying like, okay, well make a few plays down the stretch or hit a few shots and you win those games. They're winnable games, but like those are, are games that you lose to healthier, deeper and better teams. I'm not sure how upset you can be over it. If anything, I'm more encouraged with the process and that's the whole thing right like your, your ability to separate process from result is not only going to determine how you feel about these games over the last week but probably how you feel about the season overall right mm -hmm. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, as a fan base, I mean, we're so used to, to winning, right? That's what the Raptors have been doing. Yeah. That's why last year was such an outlier because um, the Tampa experience wasn't great. And there were just so many games where they left on the table and also they just didn't really compete. And then, I mean, my God, the Raptors were kind of tanking. As I said it, they were tanking, right? They weren't trying to win games. And that's such a, a different case from what we've seen over the past 10 years almost. Um, but, you know, in this season, um, it's a new experience for a lot of fans for so many yeah. years with Kyle Lowry era. Um, it was about making the playoffs. That was almost a given. And then let's see what we can do. Let's try and get to the Eastern Conference finals. Let's try and get to the finals. Let's try and win a championship. They did it. Um, this season is such a new, a new experience for everyone, even the Toronto Raptors, even Nick Nurse as an NBA coach. Right. Yeah. And so you look at it and I think you, you mentioned this um, in uh, I think it was an article that you did recently where it was like, it seems like the, the front office and Nick nurse are kind of divided because you see Nick nurse and he is like truly like the Jimmy Butler meme from the bubble where he's just like leaned over and gassed. He is coaching his ass off every yeah. single game and he's only playing six, seven guys. And the reason we're going to get to Goran Dragic in a second, a little bit further, but the reason why Goran Dragic and the Raptors aren't really working out is that he is still an NBA player, but they decided that, Hey, if we're going to give anyone backup point guard minutes, it's going to be Delano or Malachi, or I guess now Scotty Barnes, but now they really could use Goran Dragic like really badly. And he would actually, there's the irony. Yeah, and he would actually be very helpful. And you yeah. know, to Goran's credit, like he has done everything he was uh, he was asked of him. Um, outside of that comment that he made, which wasn't great um, after the trade initially happened, he came in. He was a great teammate from by all accounts. Um, he did a decent job on the floor. You kind of know what you're getting from from Goran, and he was doing it. Um, but then they decided that, like I said, it's just not. He's not in the long term plans anyway. So why are we going to play him when we could play Delano or Malachi? Um, but now. Nick Nurse, it seems like he really wants to win games. And so he could have put Delano out there. He could have put Malachi out there last night. But he's like, no, um, because they're not, they're not cutting it. So I don't know. What, what, are, your, what are your thoughts on that? It's, it's kind of interesting. I, I think assuming that that now is the goal, and at least for Nick Nurse, it seems like it, to win games, I think the Raptors and Nurse specifically mishandled the Dragic situation because I, I agree with you there. Like, I, I think somehow this narrative has been shifted a little bit to the point where, like, Raptors fans are super critical of Goran Dragic. And I understand it, like, to a degree because, I mean, they were from the get-go. And to be fair, Goran didn't put himself in the best situation when he made those comments and he backtracked pretty quickly and apologized and, and all that. And now he's practicing at the Miami Heat practice facility. That's not great. It's a terrible look. No, the optics are not great. But a oh, reminder man. to people is that he showed up. He seemed to embrace the role early on of like being the veteran leader on this team, worked really well with Scotty Barnes and Precious Achua, who of course he had a, a history with in Miami and was like beloved early on by his teammates. But like he made no secret of this. He wanted to play. He, he thinks he can play. And you can debate that whether or not he'd make an impact. I, I think as you mentioned that he would and that they could use a guy like that to play some reliable rotation minutes coming off the bench. But that's where he sees himself right now. So when the Raptors decided we don't want to waste those valuable minutes on somebody who's not part of the long-term plan, who isn't going to be here next year. And that was always like that. That was always the case. He's was never yeah. going to be here past this season, just given his free agency and that expiring contract in that situation. Uh, they didn't want to waste those minutes on somebody that wasn't going to be here. So they were using them to develop 
Flynn and Banton, and now, as you mentioned, Barnes and Siakam in that backup point guard role. Um, that's the decision they made. And, and at that point, like the, the mutual agreement was made for Dragic and, and the Raptors to essentially go their separate ways. He's not walking through that door. He's not coming back. That no. situation will resolve itself either in a trade or more likely, I think, a buyout after the trade deadline. Um, but you're right. Like it, it, that's the statement they made early on in the season is that, yes, we are balancing winning and competing in the short term while developing mm -hmm. and looking ahead to the future. But there's always been, at least from the front office, there's always been a bit of a lean towards the latter as opposed to the former. Whereas now you're right. Like you look at nurses rotation and for, for him and for the coaching staff, they're leaning more towards the former than to the la latter. They're trying to win now, which is a coach. I get it. This record is on him. Mm -hmm. He'd rather win. He wants those wins. He doesn't want to take losses as a result of like long-term development, which as we've seen, you're playing Flynn and Banton and Mihailuk and Watanabe and like that might lead to losses. I mean, they're yeah. losing games right now anyway, but it would be a lot harder to win games if you're sitting Fred out for 15 minutes a game and playing those other guys. So I get the dilemma there, but it, it does seem like there's a push and pull right now between the front office and the coaching staff. And ultimately what they do here over the next three weeks going into the trade deadline, I think will tell us a lot about what the organization's vision is of not only the direction, but this season specifically, how badly do they want to win right now? Well, we'll find out based on what they do to add depth or to maybe not add depth. You're on uh, Nick Nurse's press availability last night after the Mavericks game. And uh, I watched it and he was a little bit prickly, a little bit prickly on yeah. some of the questions. He, he was kind and everything like that. He said, thank you, Doug. Thank you, Eric, for your question. But he was kind of asked. So you have, five six players playing 30 plus minutes some of them playing 40 um why don't why don't you use someone else and uh i don't know what were your thoughts on how nick was approaching that presser he was frustrated um but positive i mean i mean <laughs> directly he was more frustrated with us and with the line of questioning than with the team itself like he credited mm -hmm. them for their fight and the only frustration he directly um directly showed towards the team was maybe with that Scotty Barnes answer in terms of his um, missed assignment on yeah. Luca at the end of the game there. But outside of that, like the frustration was with the line of questioning. Um, I don't think that we were being negative, right? Like to that point, he was asked about basically what we've been talking about in that, like how, how much frustration is there versus how much encouragement is there mm. based on these losses which is a fair question, the Scotty Barnes play, and then the rotation. So like, those aren't negative questions to me. They're, they're fair questions. Um, but I also think like he, he, he has a point and he's right. Like you can ask those questions and acknowledge, yes, that the Raptors had some crucial late game mistakes on both ends of the floor, which centrally cost them the game down the stretch. You can yeah. acknowledge that while also acknowledging that to get to that point, to, to be, toe-to-toe -to -toe with a team like Dallas while missing two key rotation players is pretty impressive. Like they deserve mm. a lot of credit for that. So I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. Um, in terms of the indirect frustration, like I do think that probably a lot of it stems from one, 
he knows that he's in a bit of a lose-lose situation when it comes to this rotation right now, just based on the roster construction. Like sure. either he overworks and overuses the six or seven guys that he trusts right now, and, and that will be questioned, or he throws in these guys that quite frankly have not played well over the last few weeks and have cost them games in the past. And then we question why is Svima Hailuk out there? Why is mm-hmm. Yuta Watanabe out there? when they're not playing well. So either way, he gets questioned. He knows that. He's probably frustrated, I would imagine, with the depth that he currently has to work with, which front office problem, and probably just frustrated with the reality of the situation that he hasn't had much to work with all year just based on circumstances, injuries, COVID, and all of that. So I get it. I, I don't think he's as frustrated with us directly as it may have seemed. I think there's probably the other circumstances that are are weighing on him as well. And Gary Trent, team MVP, it seems like. He's done a terrific job showing off his fits over the past few games. It'd be yeah. nice to see him on the floor. Um, but yeah, you see the value and the gravity of a Gary Trent Jr. just having a shooter, right? And that kind of pivots us to the trade deadline because the Raptors do have to kind of make a decision on what they want to do. So I guess to start with you, Josh, um, what are the immediate needs for the Raptors? And I guess, how would you stack rank them? Yeah. The, the sense I get, Emmett, from speaking with people around the league or people around the team is that they intend to be a buyer. It's just like, what does that mean, right? Because yeah. a buyer can mean a lot of different things. Like, I don't think they're anywhere close to being in a position where they see themselves as a buyer in the, in the same way that they were in like 2019, where it's like, let's cash yeah. in our chips and, and get this piece that they think is going to put them over the top. Like, they're nowhere close to that point. Um Buying for them probably means my my guess here would be that they're looking for guys that can come in and maybe raise the floor of this team right now in the short term and address some of those concerns, some of those areas of need, which I think right now are probably the center position, um, shooting depth on the wing and maybe a backup point guard. Um, but overall, like the biggest need right now is just bodies, like guys that can Mm. play reliable minutes in a rotation coming off the bench that that's what they need. But I don't think they're in a position to give up any kind of long-term asset in order to like plug a short-term hold. The only way I see them doing something is if they can add a piece that checks off both boxes, that helps them in the short term, while also, unlike the Dragic situation, while also making sense in the long term, somebody that's going to be here in two or three years down the line and be part of the long-term plan. They're not sacrificing their long-term vision in order to plug a hole right now. I think you're, yeah, spot on. And I look at the, the Drogic situation and I just don't know what you're going to get for Drogic and a first round pick, for instance. Like what kind of value does that provide a team? You have to have a lot of faith in the production that you're going to get from Drogic to really like lean into that and for the Raptors to get a player in return who is going to help some of the, the voids that they want to fill. Um, I don't, I don't see it. That's why, you know, the buyout situation, I think that it probably is the most likely scenario as we, you know, you kind of all know that they're pretty much capped out at the moment. So they can take on much more salary. So even if they do decide to take on a bit more salary um, just to get rid of Drogic and somehow, some way they get someone who's actually going to, you know, help them 
help this roster. Um, they don't have a lot of wiggle room. And so that, that would have to, you know, respond with like another corresponding move just to get underneath yeah. the luxury tax because they are right at it. And Masai Ujiri, like you said, he will go into the luxury tax if he needs to, but this season is not the year. So, I mean, it'd be cool to see if uh, Jody Meeks works out. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if uh, 34 years old, they brought him on to the 905, he hit like five threes or five threes over his past few games. Who knows? NBA champion. Maybe works. NBA champion, right? Maybe it, maybe it works out. Um, let's go through some of these names here that I have written down um, because I think all of them would help in some capacity, but it's kind of like, you know, who is most valuable and uh, who's going to help you not just now, but probably next season where I think I've talked so many times on this podcast where, you know, if all things go well, I think next season is a year where the Raptors are really going to be looking to make a move. And um, if yeah. pro- they progress, if OG Ananobi continues to his ascent, if Scotty Barnes continues to be, I mean, my God, just like this unbelievable prospect, uh, they're going to be in a position next year to really make some noise in the Eastern Conference. So a name like uh, Eric Gordon. Okay. So $18 million. Um, he's under contract for next season. How do you think he would help uh, the Raptors, I guess, this season and going forward? Is he a fit, for instance? I, I think it's similar to the Drogic situation. I do. Like, I, I think that that's sort of what I was talking about, where, like, there's a guy that absolutely 100% would help them right now. More so than Drogic, but, like, Drogic would help them right now, too. Mm-hmm. But Drogic is not part of their long-term situation. Gordon, just based on the, the contract, w- would probably, if they traded for him, would be here next year. But is anyone confident in saying that he'd be here after that? Are they competing for a cha- Yeah, I, I think they take a step next year. Yeah. But are they competing for a championship next year? Probably not. So, like, there's an example, I think, of a guy that, like, Houston's going to be trying to move. Unless you can, like, unless you're basically just trading the Dragic contract for the Gordon uh, contract without attaching very much of anything else yeah. you're probably they're they're going to want something for them they're going to want to pick and the raptors aren't doing i don't see them doing that just for a, a short-term sure upgrade so like there there's an example of a player that i really like that i think could really help the the situation just doesn't make that much sense to me and another part of this too is that the Raptors have a very specific need and that they don't want to abandon their identity. And that is like, they want, you know, players who are long, who are going to be able to hit threes and, you know, screen and roll and rebound and do some playmaking. So Eric Gordon, he does fit a bit of a need, right? He does have some yeah. abilities in there. He's six, three, um, can probably guard a few positions, but a contender not- is going to go out and get him, and they should. Exactly. Right. He's going to, he's a very valuable asset for someone, but it may not be the Toronto Raptors. He's a great shooter, no doubt. Right. And they need that, but that isn't the only thing. That's kind of the reason why Goran Dragic doesn't really work out in Toronto is that, and also, I mean, not just at the fact that they have these other prospects that they want to give a shot to, at least they did earlier on the season, not anymore. Um, But Dragic, like he doesn't really fit the mold, right? He's, he's short, not great defensively, great offensive player, but he doesn't fit what the Raptors want to be for years to come. So even if they did decide that they want to keep him around, he still doesn't fit. And Eric Gordon is kind of in the same boat. And I just don't see how a deal happens. You would need Houston to do you a favor pretty much if they really want to make that happen. And also, I mean, I think Gordon wants to make win for go for a championship and he's not doing that with Houston. That would require a three team trade of some sort. I know like this is sort of off the of, off the beat a little bit and this is becoming the oh, Gordon Dragic yeah. podcast, but here's, here's how I see this playing out with Dragic. Like it's funny because he, he wants to go to a winning team. He wants to go to yeah. Dallas or wherever else. 
I, I don't see any of those teams trading for him. Maybe they want to, but I think the Raptors probably encountered this in the discussions with Dallas before the season. Teams like that are, are going to have to, they've got to match the salary. So they're, it's probably not a situation where they're giving you $18, $19 million in expiring salary. They're going to mm-hmm. want to give you, here's a Dwight Powell's $12 million for next year. Here's yeah, yeah, this yeah. player's $15 million for next season. These are probably bad contracts or contracts that just don't fit with what the Raptors are doing. So I don't think that's going to happen. Like they're not unloading Drogic to a team that actually needs them. Where he's interesting, and it, it could really be an interesting piece the 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 contract to match a trade if they if they actually do want to buy from a losing team from a seller if there is a team that like let's say and I know at some point we'll get into Miles Turner so let's say let's say the Raptors let's say the Raptors want Miles Turner Indiana says okay Forget the young player, forget the prospect. I'm sure they've asked for OG and and Pascal and whoever else. But let's say it comes to a scenario where they're like, what we want from you is draft capital. Give us picks. Then all of a sudden, the Drogic contract makes a lot of sense because that's Mm. your salary matcher. And then you're throwing in one pick, two picks, three picks. I'm I'm not making a case for how many picks they should give up or how many Indiana is asking for, but that would basically be the structure of a trade. And then the losing team, the rebuilding team that trades for Drogic would essentially buy him out at at that point. But that's where I see him potentially moving in a, in a scenario like that. And if that doesn't happen, which I mean, the, the safe bet is always against a trade, not for a trade. If that doesn't happen and the Raptors can't find a deal like that to, move Dragic, then they end up buying him out after the deadline. But that's probably how it plays out. But I, I don't see him moving in a deal where like the team actually wants him and they're trading for him yeah. specifically. It's too complicated. And also those teams that may want him, they don't, they, you can't really make a deal, you know, yeah. to make something that makes sense for everyone. That's why it could be a three team thing. Or like you said, a buyout situation. I guess we could pivot to the the Pacers now because uh, Miles Turner, Karis Avert, apparently there is a fire sale happening in, in Indiana. And unfortunately, Miles Turner did get injured. He's being reevaluated in a couple of weeks. He has a, a foot injury. So his kind of his playing status is, is a bit up in the air. But him, uh, Karis, they're both under contract for next season. Both would probably help uh, either of the needs that the Raptors have. And Karis probably does fit more of what they need coming off their bench. You know, the playmaking, the be- ability to guard multiple positions, both making around $17 million. I I mean, I don't know about, about you, but I, I feel like it's unlikely that the Raptors are willing to get rid or trade Fred, Pascal, or OG, because I think they've established um, that they that those three are part of their core going forward, that they're trying to build around them, and they have a few prospects and money and draft picks to probably uh, accompany them in some capacity to help them you know, become a better team. The the, thing, the deficiencies that they have are pretty clear, but I just don't see Masai Ujiri, you know, sitting down with Fred Pascal and OG over, you know, before the season started and saying, hey, you guys are our future. How can we build this? And all of a sudden trading one of them, because then you're kind of abandoning your strategy and you're losing a championship player and championship players don't grow on trees. Like we can like there's a lot of talented NBA players, but guys who can actually win championships, who can be part of that mold, who have like the basketball IQ, the toughness and all that. They're not everywhere. And that's what the Raptors are trying to stockpile players that can do that. And you have three in your starting lineup at the very least. So why trade any of them? 
and you can throw Scotty Barnes in that mix. Yes, He's obviously absolutely. not yeah. going anywhere. And you yeah. might be able to expand that even further too. Cause I thought nurse nurse was asked, I think it was Tim Bontoms that asked him about this the other day about the deadline and his comments were really interesting. He basically said like, yeah, I've talked to Bobby as a group. There's five, six guys on this team that we really like and that we don't really want to move. And we, mm. if anything are going to build around those guys. Now, as we've seen, just because nurse, wants something thinks something is approaching it one way doesn't mean the front office is necessarily on the same page there does seem to be a divide there but yeah I mean I don't let's put it this way when Miles Turner that report first came out that he and Sabonis were on the block um yeah we were kicking it around and I was thinking like okay well Turner would be a great fit sure addresses a need what, what would we get? What would you give up for him if you were Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster? And, and the first name, because yeah, like the, there's the four guys that are probably untouchable, at least in a trade for Turner. So the first name that came to mind from a salary perspective and then from a what will Indiana want perspective was Gary Trent. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, we are, are now seeing, if we didn't already, how valuable Trent is with, with him being out. And a lot of time that's the case is you appreciate a guy more when he's not around, but also like, okay, you trade Trent, for for Turner and you plug one hole at the center position but like what are you creating you're creating this huge need now on the wing where you're already desperate for shooting and for scoring um so I don't think that happens either like the only way that it makes sense is if you can build a trade for Turner or Levert I guess or, or anybody because I, I don't think you're giving up Trent or any of those players unless you're getting like an actual Mm-hmm. foundational star a, a big piece are you willing to give up draft capital um turner is interesting i mean he's always been interesting for the raptors but he's interesting now with the injury can you get him at a bit of a discount can you offer less and maybe entice indiana i, I don't see it i think the teams are going to try it i think the raptors are going to try it i don't see it from indiana's perspective because it's like okay well why are you that desperate to make a move right now that you're, you're selling him for pennies on the, on the dollar um, at that point, why not just hold on to him just based on his contract situation? Why not hang on to him until the summer um, when you can get more from, for him probably than you can get right now. Um, but yeah, like I, I think for Turner, it would make sense to give up some draft capital. I'm not sure that the Raptors would be so willing to throw a first-round pick or a couple first-round picks for anybody. Sure. That's something that they value probably more than most teams because of their success in the draft. But Turner, I like because it's not like a Marcus Gasol situation where it's like, okay, this is our this is our win now piece, pushing all the chips. Yeah. And it's obvious it too. Sense. It's yeah, obvious. He makes what, sense. He's yeah. what 25 yeah. years old. He fits in there right, like in terms of the window with all your other pieces. Um, he he addresses a need, and that's not a short-term need. That's a need that they've had since Ibaka and Gasol walked out the door and will be a need next year and the year after as well. So if you can get him at a reasonable cost, what's that reasonable cost? I don't know. One draft pick, two draft picks. If you can yeah. get him, even if he's hurt, like it, it's not – a, like a super concerning long-term injury it's a bit of a concern like the foot injuries are are nagging and will probably impact him for this season and maybe that's why contenders are scared off if you need him to win now you're probably less willing to to pay for him but if you're really looking at him as a foundation long-term type of piece like the Raptors might be 
Like, I think that makes some sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I see it. It's just like you're talking about that. Like, it depends on what the other teams want. I mean, it's, it's obvious. Obviously, it depends on what the other teams want. But um, it's going to be a kind of a case-by-case case with, with each franchise. And a few other names that came to mind. Um, there was a rumor about this. Jakob Pertl. Um, and Gary Harris was one just to kind of put a bow on the the guards that could be potentially available is that Orlando Magic, they got a lot of guards, like a lot of guards. Like you're talking like, you know, Harris, you got uh, Etuan Moore, you got Michael Carter-Williams, uh, Cole Anthony, Suggs, Fultz. So at some point you got to have to like, get rid of a few of these guys and just kind of give a few players, um, a few players a chance to really excel. Right. And a lot of those players, like they do have a place in the NBA. I'm not saying all those names are going to be valuable to the Toronto Raptors, not by any means, but I just think that magic are in a position where they're going to be willing to negotiate some contracts. And Gary Harris is the person that really comes to mind because, you know, he's a tough player like Will Barton. I believe he said uh, when the trade happened from uh, Denver, he's like, this is a guy that I want to go to war with. That sounds like a, a Raptor to me. <laughs> Anyone who's, who gets the kind of praise um, and he shoots yeah. 37% on catch and shoot threes. Obviously that's something that the Raptors need. He's had a bit of a down year when it comes to three point shooting, but he does fill a need. And I think the kind of shots that he's going to get with Toronto, they're going to be wide open, just like it's been the case for Gary Trent. They're going to, he's going to get some terrific looks because of the gravity and uh, downhill speed of like Scotty and OG and Pascal. And I mean, to a smaller degree, you know, Fred Van Vliet. So what are your thoughts on someone like him? Mind you, he's making $20 million a year. So they'd have to do some tinkering with money. Um, but that is another player that could potentially be available and he does fit a need. Yeah. And he's a UFA. Well, well, there is the value in the Dragic contract, right? Like yeah. that would be the salary matching in, in that trade. Dragic obviously wouldn't be playing for the magic as much as he loves Florida. Um, so they would buy him out. It's just a question of like, what do you have to attach to Dragic? Are they interested in a, would they take a young player? Um, they probably want a first round pick. The Raptors aren't giving up a first round pick for Gary Harris. So <laughs> would they take a second round pick? Like, yeah. um, it, it's interesting. I like Gary Harris. And I think the Raptors would too, for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned. The three point shooting is interesting because like early in his career, he looked like, okay, it's here's prolific. a guy yeah. that's going to be an elite three point shooter. And he's never like, he hasn't shot the ball the same way as he did in those first few years ever since. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's been, he's declined in that area, but he theoretically is a, should be a, a passable three-point shooter who I agree. I think if he comes into this situation with the gravity of all those other guys, puts him in a better situation, maybe, maybe he does get back to where he was early in his career in terms of three-point shooting. He's also a good defender too. So at, at, at yeah. a position that the Raptors need. So I like Gary Harris, former Raptor Terrence Ross, sort of interesting ah, as well yes. there's another yeah, situation yeah, yeah. where like hey sure theoretical three-point shooter he's not shooting the ball well this year but like that addresses a need to some degree um without probably having to give up a ton to get him um another former raptor who you mentioned yaka purtle i think is probably like the dream oh, scenario be, oh that'd be juicy right? josh that uh, would be so juicy team-friendly contract yeah team-friendly contract $9 million um, still a has a couple 21. more years. So you have some team control, um, what 26 years old. So like, that's what I was saying is like, can you mm -hmm. find a player? This is obviously easier said than done. Can you find a player that addresses the need now and makes sense long-term? And it's yeah. funny because like at the time, Pirtle was very expendable in the DeRozan trade. And I'm sure they were thrilled to part with Pirtle instead of 
Pascal Siakam, who the Spurs were asking for. But now it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, wow, like Pirtle would solve a lot of, and I love the player that he's become, that he's turned into. It's exactly the type of player that they thought that he would grow into when they drafted him. He's not like a superstar and won't ever be a superstar, but he's sort of like a star in his role where he understands what Mm -hmm. he's supposed to do and does those things really well without blowing you away necessarily. But he does, he defends really well, great screener, great roller, finishes around the bucket, um, I really like oh, him as a fit. Boy. I'm getting, can I'm getting get excited. Him, yeah. Can you get him? Yeah. Can, can, yeah. can yeah. what do the yeah. Spurs want? And, and does it make sense for, for them to do it? Um, if it does like, yeah, I, I think that's probably the dream scenario. And it's helpful that you have a trade history with the team. Um, that's like, you know, the yeah. relationships within the NBA is important. That's why some teams never trade together. And then there are other teams who trade a lot with each other. And from all accounts, it seems like the Raptors and Spurs have a good rapport with each other. <laughs> it's so. funny that we're talking about the two teams we're talking about with the Raptors are Orlando yeah. and San Antonio. I know. Right. Uh, huh, here we are. My goodness. Um, yeah. I mean, are there any other names that come to mind for you? Like, Hey, Ed Davis is out there. How about Ed Davis? Who knows? You know, I don't know. All names are, what's interesting about Ed Davis, I just want to mention him for a second, is that if he was drafted into this, this NBA, he would be an unbelievable prospect, right? But because of where he was, the year that he was in, um, he was undersized at the time, but now 6'9", 2'10", whatever he is, kind of makes sense. That's someone who could be really valuable in the NBA, and I'm sure he would have been developed differently. I'm happy for Ed Davis. 11 years in the NBA, he made it happen. And he was he was like an Uber prospect at the time yeah. too. Like at one point there was talk of him being the number one pick before I think like he got hurt in yeah, school yeah, and then, and then fell to the Raptors. But you're right. Like there's another example, like of a guy that, I mean, he's had a good career and he's been like really solid player. That's good at a lot of things, not really great at anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at this stage of his career, like I'm not sure how much he's moving the needle for, for any team, but yeah, I mean, it would be a, a fun reunion. Yeah. For anyone curious, he's on the Cleveland Cavaliers right now. He's played for how many teams in the NBA? He's played for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, eight teams. Sorry. Wow. Went one more. Eight teams in the NBA. Washington interests me too in that they're starting to get healthy. They've got a pretty crowded front court now. Like I I like Daniel Gafford a lot. Um, They just got Thomas Bryant back. They've got Bertans under a pretty significant contract. So like, I wonder if, if any of those guys might be available, but I also think like, I don't know, are they trading with a team like the Raptors when those teams like they're as my um, Raptors beat co-host Nikki Reyes likes to call it the murky middle in the Eastern conference. I feel (laughs) like if anything, those are the teams that are looking to maybe add to separate themselves from that murky middle a little bit, as opposed to maybe trading with each other. But those are yeah. some guys that could potentially be on the market. And this is the game within the game, right? You're not going to trade with someone that you're competing with. That's why you see a lot of uh, teams trading um, out, out of conference because you don't want to help anyone. Why would you want to help anyone? Right. That's ridiculous. Uh, Jerry is not in the business of helping other teams. No, 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 I promise no, no, you no, that. no. I wonder if Yusuf Nurkic is going to be on the, on the move. I wonder yeah. if that's something that's going to be happening for, for the Blazers and another expiring contract, the Bosnian beast. Wow. Who knows what the Blazers are looking at doing? Actually, the Raptors are going to be playing them pretty soon. Um, so that's another name. But I mean, I don't, I don't see how that happens. And also, if you commit to Yusuf Nurkic this season, then I would think that, that you're doing that because you feel like he's going to stick around. 
And does he fit exactly as we've been talking about? Does he fit the Toronto Raptors? And, you know, we're going to get into this in a second, but the centers that they have, they're rolling with them for a reason because they're mobile, they're big, they can guard on the perimeter, and they're kind of willing to eat, you know, some of their def- defensive rebounding efficiencies. Like Jesus saw it last night. I felt, I tweeted it. It's like, okay, you got to stop offensive rebound bucket for the Dallas Mavericks. They, this is kind of part of the experiment is that they want to see, you know, how they can make things work. What is the things that they really need? And that's why I feel like they really do need to bring in some sort of guard off the bench, because even whatever your plans are for the rest of, of, uh, of your kind of stance here with this, this core of your team, you need to know what you need off your bench, right? And, you know, Gary Trent going out, it kind of has shown how desperate yeah. they are for something, anyone to come off the bench. And so you need to know what kind of holes you need to plug. And that's why I think they do need to make a move for some sort of guard, someone, anyone, like the center thing, they need it, obviously, but they're not looking to win a championship this season anyways, but a guard off the bench, they need to know how they're going to fill that hole because they are, that is not going away. And, you know, Scotty Barnes, they have committed to him being the backup point guard. And if anything, they should have committed to that, you know, months ago, it shouldn't have been, you know, this coming up now, they should have done this a few months ago when uh, Delano Banton and Malachi Flynn, you just decide that you're not going to be playing too much. (laughs) That's it. Right. You gave him a chance and that's okay, but they could have pulled that string a lot sooner. And then you could have looked at how can we address the other needs that we need? Because either neither of those guys are going to be filling that shooting guard need. They're not, they're not terrific shooters or they're not tall enough or whatever. So yeah, you're right about the center position, right? Like they tried to address that. They tried to go the traditional center route in the, with the bargain bin last mm-hmm. year in, in getting guys that, yeah, like the, the, they're big and they're, they might address that like position on the depth chart, but yeah. how's it going to play out on the court? And ultimately it was a disaster with Baines and Len. And that's why they went a completely different route this year. And they said, okay, unless like, I think if, if, if they could get an elite traditional center, I, I think mm-hmm. this is just the way that the NBA works now is like those guys still have value. If you could get, if you could find an elite big, the best of the best, those guys are always going to have some kind of a positive Im- impact, no matter how much the game changes, just because of how good they are and how yeah. dominant they are. But if it's not the top tier, then you might as well just go with somebody that's going to fit your style better and the style in which like the NBA is trending. And that's what they've done here with Achua and with Birch. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, unless they're like, I guess, I mean, even Turner, like is Turner a traditional center? He shoots the three ball pretty well. I think he has like some traditional center qualities Mm -hmm. defensively as a rim protector and all that. And like, he's good enough that you alter your philosophy and how you play a little bit. Um, It's worth it for him. And I'm not even sure how much they would have to alter their philosophy. Um, But for a guy that, that isn't quite at that level. Yeah. It's not worth slowing yourself down and limiting what you can do defensively in terms of versatility to bring in a seven footer. That's not their biggest need right now, as much as it might seem like it from a depth chart standpoint, it's not. So yeah, I think like if, if what they end up doing is adding in the, in a bargain type of way where you're trying to get somebody with like a second round pick or something like that, then yeah, the, the more pressing need is probably going to be, shooting and on the wing because I I don't think you Mm. want whatever a second round pick is going to bring in in terms of like a backup center sure how many Plumley brothers are still in the league (laughs) too many (laughs) uh yeah exactly 
So let's um, pivot to some of these hopes and dreams of the second half, because there are lots. Um, it was an entertaining first half of the season, um, ups, downs, like I'd mentioned earlier. Um, you learn some things, you realize some things about certain players, guys who fit, guys who don't, guys who have a bit more of a ceiling in certain areas of the game. So, And also we should look at some things that we would like to see the Raptors do more of, because they've tiptoed around this in particular, and it's Nick Nurse using Pascal Siakamore as a screen and roller. And I've seen him build some chemistry with Fred Van Vliet. And you look at that pick and roll, you have one player who's extended his range, you know, five feet beyond the three-point line. And so that's a matchup problem in itself. But then you have Pascal Siakam, and he has become so good um, as a roller, not just in the sense that, like, you know, he's not exactly like a best screener by no means, but his weight, his, his maneuvering and his footwork in those situations is so good. And you're seeing the, the tension that he creates when he's in that position. It's actually, it's it's one of the reasons why I think you need to see more of it. And we've seen over the past few games, you know, when he gets in those screen and roll situations with Fred, things have been gone pretty well. He's able to get create some space. He's able to, you know, get rolled into the bucket. And then you have some space for Pascal to operate. And that's been an issue for a few seasons now is that Pascal just didn't have space to make things happen. Granted, he had to add some elements to his game, but it seems like he's done that. So, I mean, your thoughts on that is... Nick Nurse has to get Pascal Siakam more in the activity as a screen and roller. Yeah. I, I think it just makes too much sense not to do, right? Like the Raptors yeah. aren't, Nick Nurse isn't a, a, a big pick and roll coach. Like they're not a, a pick and roll heavy team by any means, or at least they mm-hmm. haven't been historically over the years, but it, it makes too much sense when you have a weapon like that. I, I mean, you want Pascal Siakam, as you mentioned, in space. You want the ball in his hands where he's in a situation where he can make decisions and you trust him now more than ever to make the decision as a roller or, or where he's popping um, off of a screen because you trust him now in those situations to make those reads and decide, okay, do I have an advantage here or does somebody else have the advantage and how do I make the play? That's a situation you want him in. And then you also want him in a situation where he can attack mismatches because he's so good at it. He's also Mm -hmm like develop that recognition of when, when do I have the advantage? When do I attack? Um, And I I mean, he's going to be in a mismatch situation almost any time in a pick and roll scenario, because there are so few players that can defend him. And the the small handful of guys that can defend him are probably going to be guarding him initially. Right. So if you, if Mm -hmm. you get him in a, in a switch scenario where uh, a traditional big is on him. He's going to blow past that guy. If you are, are in a situation where a guard is on him, um, he's going to back the guy down or shoot yeah. over him or, you know, like, or he's making the play. So I just think it makes too much sense, especially when he's paired in a lot of those situations with Fred Van Vliet, a guy who's developed as a shooter to the point where other teams can't, leave him like they've got to be glued yeah. to him they've got to be worried about him in a pick and roll scenario to the point where all of a sudden Pascal's going to get a lot of good looks and even to take that even further like if you pair him with OG or Scotty so now we're getting like really funky with this but yeah. Pascal's passing the way that he, the, the ability for him on on that end of the floor to bend defenses and just this passing in the middle of the floor. Like he's always able to find the open man. And it seems like things are really slowed down for him to his credit. And that's like his development. That's him watching film 
Lord knows that he's doing all that stuff. And so if you pair him in a pick and roll situation with like a Scotty or OG, you can really see how that would be beneficial for the Raptors, right? Because yeah. Pascal, he's working on his outside shot. I think his three-point shooting percentage has gone up a little bit um, as he's gotten more comfortable. You have Scotty and OG who are able to do similar things, maybe to the, not, uh, not to the same extent, but they're able to make things happen. And so you're making things really hard for, for defenses. Like how like you got to pick your poison. What do you want to bank on? Do you want to bank on, you know, Pascal hitting a Jimmy or driving to the bucket and, and, um, finishing against a player who's smaller, or do you want to, you know, you know, take your chances on a Scotty or OG? And I don't think a lot of teams have the ability to guard all of those guys. Not many teams do, and that's why I think the Raptors have realized that they're gonna have to activate OG Ananobi as a post-up threat because teams are putting their attention towards Scotty Barnes, or I mean, he's he's playing the five essentially, so that's that. They're putting their tallest, most athletic player on Pascal Siakam. That leaves OG. And over these past few games, they've really gone to him a lot as a post-up player. And he's got to find ways to finish in those, in those situations. His He's still you know, figuring out how to be a complete player down there. I'm not sure how much he's really trained himself as a post-up player. You look at all the workout videos he, he was doing. It was all about being a better perimeter player. But now we're asking him, hey, can you be a post-up guy? Let's do bully ball. And you got to find ways to finish down there. And I, he struggled a little bit. It's gone well at times, but... I would love to see OG find his his groove down in the post because that is another way where the Raptors are really going to make defenses uh, struggle on that end of the court. Yeah, I asked Nurse about that after the game yesterday. It's the only question in which he didn't look like he wanted to jump through the screen and strangle somebody. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, he said it's something that they've been doing a little bit more. We've seen it a little bit more. Um, because, and it's so, like you mentioned, it, it's so new for him for the bulk of his career, he's been a low usage player, essentially just limited to catch and shoot scenarios from the corner or from wherever. Um, and while he was getting more reps as a, a primary or, or secondary initiator of the offense early in the season, they, they were sort of putting him back in a, in a bit of a, a box to where the bulk of his shots, since the team has gotten relatively healthy, um, have, have come from three up until the yeah. last few games, and especially no, in the first half against Dallas. Yeah. They were really, Pascal specifically, was really looking to get him the ball in the post. He was getting really good post position. Um, but I, I do think, like, that's the next evolution of his game. He's been really interesting as a post player whenever we've seen it, even in small doses over the last couple of years. Because good and bad, yes. <laughs> good and bad, well, yeah. Um, but I do think, like, the biggest issue for me with OG Ananobi early in his career was like, he looked like a baby deer out there. Like just in terms of the balance, he'd be falling over yeah. everywhere. It was like sort of awkward and uncomfortable whenever he had the ball in his hands. Um, but he's clearly spent a lot of time working on his footwork and his balance, which of course are so cru so crucial to his ultimate success is going to be in the post. In addition to just a natural ability and that's his physical strength. So yeah. with all of those things, with improving footwork and balance and then the, the strength that he has and everything else the Raptors have going on offensively, I, I still think they need his three-point shooting just because you have so sure. little three-point shooting on the roster. And he's but good at it, too. I, and yeah. he's good at it. Um, but I, I would love to see him 
used more out of the post. He just needs some moves that he can kind of roll with. Like the footwork and balance um, are all parts of, you know, being a better post-up player. And I guess just being a better basketball player overall. But that hook shot, like I remember, you know, for years when Serge Ibaka was here, what was he doing after practices? He was doing that hook shot with like Jamal McGlure or someone. He was just working on it nonstop. Pump this way, that way, shake, shimmy, turn around, hook shot. And that's like one of those things that I think every player kind of needs, right? You just need that. That's like your foundation, your stability. And OG, I think he's doing more of those, those fadeaway jumpers because that's kind of his comfort zone right now because he was working so much on being a better perimeter player. He's got a decent fadeaway. He's found uh, nice ways to maintain that balance, which is pretty difficult. And so that's why he's doing those, some of those, you know, five feet away from the basket would look kind of weird because you're not used to seeing a fadeaway jumper when you're that close to the bucket. Um, yeah at least from him. And also it's still a little bit of awkwardness for him, but if he's able to figure that out, I think that would really help his game and also the Raptors offense, because, you know, this is a natural pivot now to another thing that I wanted to ask you about is like, I think OG and Pascal and Scotty Barnes, they kind of have to become a little bit telepathic and they're and uh, when they're on the court together, because Scotty's great at this. Like this is one of the things that Scotty is so strong at. And the fact that he's able to do this so early in his NBA career is that his basketball IQ is incredible. Like you look at the draft and there are a few players who can kind of measure up to that. And that's a testament to how good the draft is because it was an exceptional draft and Scotty Barnes may be on the top when it comes to being his basketball IQ. Um, But when Pascal has the ball in the post or when Pascal has the ball anywhere, like he is so good at flashing towards a bucket, finding those open alleys. And I think that's good on Scotty's part, but I think probably Pascal and OG, they can do a better job of doing that on their end. Um, Obviously, spacing is important. Scotty, you know, he's getting the ball usually lower in the post, right? Because his three-point shot isn't necessarily there. But if Nurse is able to get a little bit creative and find ways to get Scotty or OG and Pascal cutting towards the basket, and, you know, timing. It's rhythm and timing when it comes to cutting. You can't go too early, too late. It has to be on the button. And finding that chemistry between those three, um, it's going to be crucial not just this season, but also going forward. And that's going to come like that. That's where timing and reps plays into it. And I think like what, to this point, they've, those, those three have only played in like, I don't know, 10, 11, maybe 12 games together Mm -hmm. this season. Very few. Um, I think like as duos, they developed chemistry and we've seen stretches. Like remember when Pascal first came back from the injury and made a season debut and, and then yeah. started to get healthy and, and start to look more like himself. The big story for like a week or two was like, oh my God, like look at some of these connections that he and Scotty have had and look at the mm-hmm. chemistry that they're building. And those like in, in duos, OG and, and Scotty had a bunch of time early in the season to figure it out. Um, and obviously OG and Pascal have played together for a, for a few years now. Um, but now it's about, as you mentioned, like getting on the same page and in the same mind space basically as a trio um but i think more and more we're seeing the vision for like from ujerry and and webster in this front office is remember when they drafted barnes people are asking well like does that mean that they're more likely to move siakam now how is this going to work there there are similarities there to the point Mm -hmm. where it's going to cause a lot of problems for for defenses where like those guys do uh, uh, complement each other and 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 work together in a certain way. But I think there's enough differences between them that yeah. that the chemistry there and the way that they complement each other could really work well, especially if the shooting improvements that we've seen from Siakam this season 
are sustainable and if Barnes is in fact a, a better shooter and offensive player than a yeah. lot of people thought that he was coming in I, I think yeah I mean I'm excited to see what those three can can build with some time together yeah and it's all about you know being really crafty right and that's not things that you can really teach um, you need to just kind of have that intuitively and I think the Raptors over the years this is like something that they've instilled in all the basketball players that they bring in that you got to have a high basketball IQ because when you're on the court like run your plays if you want to but it, so much of it is reading and reacting and to like you mentioned, Scotty is so good at that. And now with Pascal and OG, uh, I think it's just kind of coming down to how can they uh, optimize the lineups so you have some shooting around them. That's why Gary Trent Jr. is so important right now. That's why Fred Van Vliet is so important because if you want those three to work together really well, you need the shooters around them. And uh, they've done a decent job. Like you said, Scotty Barnes, Pascal, some of those like little pocket passes that they've done to each other, um, the flashes are there and it's really, really intriguing. Um, they just have to kind of hone in on it. And, you know, it's high lows, it's, you know, clearing aside. So there's space for one player and then you have others cutting towards the basket. It's, it's, yeah, it's beating other players down the court, which is something OG did a really good job of yesterday against the Mavericks, you know, beating uh, yeah. Tim Hardaway down there, getting low, and then just making buckets happen and just getting into that bullying. And they got to figure that out. It's going to, this is why it's so intriguing what the Raptors are doing, because you can see how it's working, but they just have to kind of like crisp it up a little bit. And I guess pivoting a little bit to Scotty Barnes and kind of what he's done this year. I mean, you can't really too much or enough of his praises he's been so good this year and he's exceeded expectations and almost everywhere like you want to see him kind of continue to be creative and you want to see him continue to explore there's a risk and reward with scotty barnes with his creativity um, sometimes he gets himself into trouble sometimes he overcomplicates it overcomplicates things but he's doing that because he can and having a player who's able to make you know reads that are kind of three, four years into his NBA development, but he's already doing it now, um, that's special. And how do you think the Raptors can continue to kind of use Scotty Barnes more as a playmaker? Well, I, I think they're doing it, right? Like, I, I like the idea of getting the ball in his hands more often, both with bench groups, mm -hmm. even though, like, I mean, how, how bench heavy are these units that they're using right now? probably not very considering how short the rotation is, but even when the starters are out there, um, bringing Van Vliet off the ball, playing him off the ball. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. All more, it's, it's great for Van Vliet in terms of um, the kind of durability and sustainability of him 
uh, taking the pressure off throughout the course of the long season, uh, but mm -hmm. also utilizing his strengths as a, a catch and shoot player. But then I, I think it's really worked out well in terms of developing the playmaking of, of both Pascal and Scotty. So I like it. And I agree with you. Like, I think he's had such a good rookie year to the point where like, we're almost spoiled where mm -hmm. we're shocked on the nights when he looks like a rookie, even though he's a rookie and he's supposed to look like a rookie some yeah. nights, most nights. Um, and that's why I always say, like, I, I know that everybody, you mentioned it earlier that the fan base is spoiled just based on all the winning and we're used to winning um, to the point where with games like these last few where the talk is, I guess, moral victories. And, and it's just ingrained in people's mind that like, there is no such thing as a moral victory. Well, there wasn't for a championship team for a veteran yeah. team, but there is for a young team. This is a 500 team. I mean, literally right now they're 500 team. Mm -hmm. um, there is a moral victory and, and it's not like, Oh, they hung in with these, good teams so they should feel good about themselves that's not the moral victory i'm talking about the moral victory is like barnes needs reps in those situations to develop they're not yeah. going to happen in practice one because they're barely having full team practices right now and also just because you can't simulate those those situations but to put him in situations where he's learning on the fly against really good teams in clutch situations like that even if he's making mistakes like I mean, we're talking about him as a playmaker, but defensively the play against Luca yeah. and he had a few like really notable defensive lapses against Dallas. He's going to get more from those situations as frustrating as it might be in the moment. He's going to get more from that than he is in a blowout loss to Detroit or even in those wins against the depleted teams from a couple weeks ago. So I, 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 like I, like you said, I, I think he's way ahead of schedule from where we thought he'd be going into the season and all of the things that need to, to happen in order to get him to the next point are all happening. It's just going to take some patience, which isn't always the easiest no thing. One has. <laughs> no one exactly. has. No one has. Yeah. And even that uh, possession with, yeah, with, uh, with Luca last night. And I, I also look at that Miami possession um, where he had a two on one with Pascal Siakam and they didn't convert. And then I was like, that would have made it a, a one point game with, I think two minutes left. And then the Luca possession, part of this is experience. Part of this is mental errors because he could very well just be tired. You know, you make mental errors when you're exhausted yeah. and he's playing minutes that he's never played in his NBA career. That can't be said enough. He's never experienced something like this before. And he's not playing I think just he like just hit double the his minute total from fsu last year Jesus. and he's what like yeah. a few games into the second half of his rookie season and he's already he's playing he's averaging more minutes right now than any rookie has since andrew wiggins in 2015 so like holy smokes i get it yeah. like in addition obviously to him dealing with a knee thing and maybe there's some like maybe he's not 100 percent. there's also just the the workload situation and that can't be forgotten about also like it it, it all plays into it that's what the rookie wall is. And like, I think he's hit it probably a few times this year, but credit to him. Cause he's, he's fighting through it. Right. Like there hasn't yeah. been a point where it's like, okay, well he's in trouble. I, I yeah. just think it's like, he he's hitting these, these points throughout the season mm -hmm. and he's finding ways to, to learn and to grow and, and to push through it. And it's not easy. It is not easy at all to, to do that because like you had said, I mean, he's playing 
heavy, heavy minutes. And it's not typical of any rookie, but these are also really hard minutes, you know, because of how vital he's been to their success this season. I mean, if you, if things go a little bit differently, if they're a little bit healthier, maybe the Raptors are in a better position. Maybe there are five, six, seven games above 500, but you know, COVID protocols, uh, injuries, so forth. Here they are They're you know, you know, in 11th or 10th or whatever it is. And it is what it is, but th- I think they're positioning themselves to be in a really good spot for the rest of the season. And you look at the strength of schedule, like I don't agree with it because strength of schedule now is so, is so irrelevant because all these teams are so good, you know? So great. You're playing the 10th team in the East or 10th team in the West. That's fine. But it's still a very good team, a team that you can lose to on any given night. Case in point, that Pistons game. You can lose on any given day in the NBA right now, and it's never been more competitive. Great for the NBA. So for Scotty taking in on all these experiences, night in, night out, very difficult. Now, Luca possession, I mean, I don't know. I look at it like he got caught going left, and the chance of him even like contesting it very well wasn't going to be good because he was already shook, essentially. Luca was already going to his left, and Scotty was going left, and so there was this gaping space you're pretty much dead at that point with Luka Doncic, but the optics don't, don't look great when you see optics, him, right? Like, like yeah. get, 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 get a hand up. And he's so long that like, maybe, maybe that disrupts the shot to some degree, yeah. but if nothing maybe. else, it at least shows the fans and more importantly, your coaches that like the, mm-hmm. the effort is there. The, the, the thought is there in that moment to recover, try to recover and defend that shot. There were a few, like there, there was a play, I forget who the shooter was, but there was a play in the first half too, where he didn't close out, made really no attempt. Like there wasn't even, uh, he didn't mm-hmm. even get his, his arm up, his hand up. And then there's a long rebound and he doesn't box out his guy either. So he's essentially just caught flat footed yeah. in the middle of the key. So like, those are our plays again, fatigue, probably playing a part in it. Although he's like the only guy that didn't play 40 minutes because of the foul trouble against Dallas, <laughs> but fatigue just based on the, the sure. workload is playing a part. Um, but yeah, th- those are just the, the, whether it's miscommunication or missed assignments, mental mistakes, whatever it is, those are the plays that they need to try and, or that they are trying to to limit mitigate yeah. as, as much as possible. Yeah, sure. Another part of this too, we should mention that the Raptors, they ask a lot of their players on defense. Um, it's not just the fact that they want them to, you know, scramble everywhere, then, you know, rebound the ball is that you're being asked to guard a lot of different positions. And so even that alone puts you in a compromising spot because you have to think, okay, so who am I guarding now? He's six, three, who is he? What's his shot profile? Like I, I remember early on in the season, Nick had said that he, he tracks, in practices and in games, how many times a ball or a shot is contested. And probably a few times now, I guess Scotty has been docked a few points. Um, but yeah, he's being asked to do a lot. That's kind of the what we're getting at, is that he's being asked to do a lot for a rookie and not just like any NBA rookie. He's being asked to do a lot for a team that has high aspirations for this season. Um, because there's a difference between you know playing 40 minutes for a team that's 11th or 12th or has no hopes or aspirations of the playoffs, but then there's another element where you're being asked to play heavy leverage minutes, being asked to be a huge part of those minutes. And Scotty, for the most part, he's, uh, he's flying, he's flying pretty well. He's done an incredible job, but the errors, they look very glaring when he is a person who's guarding Luka Doncic in those situations, which is a credit to himself in itself, that he's being the person who's being asked to your, this is, this is your assignment. It's Luka Doncic and we're going to kind of live and die by how you approach the situation. And that's his, that's his role right now. So that's enough credit. What are your thoughts on ESPN saying that he is the best screener of the 2021 NBA draft? 
I'm not going to say the reporter, but I'll just say ESPN. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not sure that I paid enough attention to the screening <laughs> of every other player in the draft yeah. to be able to, um, yeah, to be able to confirm that, confirm or deny that ranking. But uh, hey, uh, I mean that's that's something. Do you get yeah. an award for that? I suppose so. It's a, <laughs> I guess the reward would be a little feather in the cap when um, we got to prove people, prove people wrong. People I think- were so ticked off about his comments the other day about rookie of the year. Did you, did you like see that as well? I didn't see it. I got a lot of reaction. So he was asked about whether rookie of the year is important to him or not. And he was honest. Like he, he said, well, first of all, he didn't just like bring it up unprompted. He was asked about rookie of the year yeah. and if it's important to him. So he said, yeah, it's important to me. Like that's a goal that I've had since I was drafted and it could be important in, in, in establishing my legacy early in my career. And that's something that everyone should shoot for something I'm paraphrasing, obviously, sure. but, um, and I don't know. I just saw like so much negative reaction to that on Twitter of like people taking Why? issue with it. Like, <laughs> oh, well, people wanted the cliche of like, oh, not important to me. All that's important to me is winning. Well, first of all, it's like not mutually exclusive. You can want to win rookie of the year while also yeah. prioritize winning. In fact, like the two kind of go hand to hand, hand in hand. But also like, are we really going to kill these athletes for the cliches? And then the second they veer off of the cliche, we're like, well, yeah. Where's the cliche? Exactly. It's competitive like spirit it. so, too. Yeah, exactly. That's why I say spirit, it, I, I don't know if he's going to get the rookie of the year, but if he's the best screener of the class, then at least that's that's something. <laughs> Give him a trophy. Yeah, I guess so. I think ESPN got it wrong with uh, with that one. He's much more than that. Obviously, it's a it's a great rookie class, one of the best ones I think we're going to remember. Really good. Um, but I, yeah, but I think I mean Evan Mobley seems like he's going to have to he's going to have that locked up. But a credit to Evan Mobley, and that's just how good we are looking at. We're seeing players who are going to be uh, the future of the NBA to some degree. Yep. Um, between Cade and him and Evan and uh, you know uh, Josh Giddy, players like this, we're going to be talking about them for ten years, 10, 15 years. That's how good they are. I think you want a player to be competitive, right? And that is um, a testament to how competitive Scotty is. He wants to be rookie of the year. He is part of a rookie class that is only given to one player in the class, and so you want him to be wanting that award and if we're going to kill him for wanting to be rookie of the year then do we kill fred for saying that he wants to be all an all-star because that is another yeah. uh, you know that's another individual award and they also do kind of go exclusive with exclusive with one another you win games you might be an all-star you win games you might be rookie of the year it's kind of how it is fred, fred was the first guy that came to mind first of all when i saw that comment but then also when i saw the reaction to it because i think yeah. with fred like maybe earlier in his career, it caught people off guard. Now people are used to him saying stuff like that. But I, I mean, obviously as a member of the media, I love it because I don't want the cliche. I want the mm-hmm. honest answer. And Fred is the king of it, the king of it. Yeah. Um, so, and I also think like, I, I think this is a great system and a great situation for Barnes to be in for a lot of reasons, but one of those things, and, and clearly he's, he's paying attention and clearly he's fitting in really well is like Nick nurse when he was on the, was the JJ Reddick podcast, right. When he was talking about his coaching philosophy and he was saying like, our goal is to get players individual mm-hmm. success accolades, whatever it is, the, the big contract, the big award, yeah. um, as much money as they can get, because that means that we're doing our jobs in terms of development. But it also means that like those things don't happen. The contracts don't happen. The awards don't happen unless we're winning. So like he gets it and I don't have a problem with it at all. I was shocked that people did shock, but 
It's Twitter. <laughs> so what do you want? I know. Were you shocked that uh, Masai Jury told Stanley Johnson he was bad at basketball? <laughs> I don't believe that. I don't believe that. That was. Yeah, he said it though. Fun. Essentially, he essentially said that Masai said that. Kind of. Oh no! Yeah, Stanley Johnson said that yeah. he said that. I don't. I don't. I, I'd like to maybe see the other side of that conversation, yeah. or I even have him elaborate on that conversation because that, like, yeah, there was that little tidbit in that story of like he told me I was bad at basketball. Wait, what? <laughs> Tell me more about, about that conversation. Uh, maybe instead of that being like, that was just like a, an anecdote in the story. Mm-hmm. Like that that needs to be the story. I want to know more about that. Um, yeah. Was that like the famous Masai Ujiri heart to heart with Kyle Lowry when he's like, what kind of player I think do you it was. Be? I think it was. And maybe it was. And then if, if that was the case, then I think maybe Stanley misinterpreted it because what kind of player do you want to be isn't quite you're bad at basketball he's yeah. not bad at basketball of course there not. are he's got he's an nba balls, player he's not bad at basketball but he's an yeah. nba player he's not bad at basketball yeah. messiah jury did not tell him that he's bad at basketball at least <laughs> not in those words yeah i think it was more about and this is kind of the vision of the raptors is that they don't bring in a lot of players who don't have high basketball iqs and it was probably more about that obviously stanley johnson has has had success in the NBA. He's had success at the college level. He is an NBA player and I'm happy he's kind of found his niche with the LA Lakers. Cause my God, yeah. don't they need someone off their bench, someone who can help them play defense. And I'm sure his time with the Raptors has helped Stanley Johnson become a better fundamental basketball player. You know, there is such a thing as, you know, a person who's great one-on-one talent, but bad at basketball. They're two kind of different things. Someone who yeah. can understand rotations, who can read and react to plays. And I think that's kind of what maybe Masai was getting at. From, and know, speaking from what of I'm guys saying. that aren't going to just give you the cliche, he's one hell of a personality too. And I love Stanley. He was great. He yeah. was always good for, for a quote when he was in Toronto. Um, yeah. I, I wish him all the best. I hope things really do work out for him because he does have a spot in the NBA. And I think he can be very valuable, especially this NBA, right? If he's a person who can guard you know, Rudy Gobert and take him off the dribble and make uh, and give, him, give him fits, that is someone who is incredibly valuable. Hell, maybe the Raptors could have used him because they could use someone off their bench right now. Um, Let's moving to, where should we go? Let's look at Svi and and Utah because two players who have fallen out of the rotation, who are in the doghouse, who have, I mean, do you think they've been given enough rope this season? I think Svi Mahailuk has been given more than enough rope. (laughs) You're going to say that. (laughs) I think Justin (laughs) Champagny probably agrees with that as well. Yeah. He's yeah. waited long enough for his turn in the rotation and, and he's doing something with it. Sfi is interesting because like he comes into the season and even now, like when we talk about Sfi Mihailuk, it's like, okay, well, Sfi's a shooter, but like, is he? It's sort of similar to like what we were talking about with Gary Harris, where like Sfi had one season in Detroit where I think he shot 40% from three. Yeah. And the stroke looks good, right? Like his mechanics are good, but outside of that one season, like I think he's shooting like 32, 33% from three over the last couple of years. Um, I don't know. It's like for all those years, everyone was like, Andrea Bargnani is a, is a great shooter. It's like, well, is he, you know, like at some point the results have to be there to justify the reputation of being a good shooter. So for Svi, if he's not shooting the ball, well, what is he bringing? Cause he's not great defensively. He's not helping you that much in any other, like he's not making plays. Um, in terms of Utah, Utah is interesting, right? Because it's sort of the opposite where like he doesn't have the reputation of a shooter. It's something that he's worked on. We've seen 
some improvement on that end of the floor. Um, he hasn't shot the belt the ball well recently. He hasn't played that well recently, but he's also hasn't played a lot back. either. Yeah, he, he hasn't, hasn't played, played a lot. lot. And that's tough for all these guys, like for Svee and for the, the two point guards as well. I always say it's like a chicken and the egg problem. You don't want to play guys when they're not earning minutes and not playing well, but they're not going to play well unless you play them. Like unless you give them some consistency in terms of their role, because it's like really, really the, the, the list of guys that can come in cold and having not played in weeks or whatever it is and not knowing what the role is and play well the list of guys in the nba that can do that it's a short list it's not easy and i feel for yeah. these guys and i understand that um and for utah specifically he was playing well he was like somewhat of a fixture in nurse's rotation we know he's a nick nurse favorite for obvious reasons the energy and the 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 effort and all that stuff the defense um but he missed time and he had covid and and getting over that and, and getting his conditioning back, which like clearly hasn't happened fully. So I do yeah. think like if, if anybody's going to re-enter the rotation, it is Utah at some point. It's just a question of when and, and how quickly he's able to get back in rhythm and ultimately earn uh, nurses trust back. But even that, like he's not coming back to be the, the, the scorer and the shooter that you need off the bench. He's coming back mm -hmm. to essentially do what Champagne's doing now and just bring energy and effort and all that stuff. That's why going back to the, the, the trade discussion is like, that's the need that you have is you need a shooter off the bench because neither of those guys, I don't think for all of Svee's reputation and for all of Utah's hard work on that area of his game, neither of those guys are going to address that need. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying about Svee too. I, I can understand why Nick Nurse likes him because, you know, I, I say this delicately, but he's, he's a fringe five tool player because he has some ability to play and make, he has some ability to pass the ball. He can work in pick and rolls. He can shoot the ball. He can drive to the bucket. So there's something there. He's 24 years old, but obviously he has not performed at all. If you look at like, there's a reason why we looked in preseason. It's like, wow, this guy actually has a bit of game to himself, but I think he's struggling with himself a little bit. He's struggling with the shot, his confidence. So Obviously, it hasn't worked out. Who knows where this goes? But I, I can see potential in Svi. I just I'm not sure if he's going to be given this chance again with the Raptors, NBA whole as a whole. It's uh, it's a tough one with Utah. I was surprised that he's kind of fallen out of the rotation. Maybe it's punishment. Nick Nurse has done that a few times, saying, "All right, you're going to sit for five, six games." But do you have the time and players to to do that right now? You're playing six, seven guys. That's it. A lot of guys are playing 40 minutes a game and they're kind of, you know, barreling down and having some issues finishing games because probably they're tired a little bit. We've seen it in Pascal. We've seen it in Fred. They have lost their uh, physical physicality at the end of games while other teams are kind of, you know, leveling up. Those guys are kind of crashing down and it's not because they don't, uh, they don't have the ability. It's because they're just physically tired. They can't do it. They are, their legs are numb. That's what's going on. So in Utah, granted, he's not shooting the ball too well, um, but he will come in and he will give you serviceable five, 10 minutes. He may miss, you know, he might go all four from three and that's not great. But like you said, he will get there. He had a stretch already this season where he actually was shooting the ball quite well, but then he went out again. So it's been very up and down for, for Utah, not just in, from playing time, from the games he's been able to actually be active. It's been really tough for him. And this is a huge year for him. This is kind of NBA career defining. Not so much with Svee because he's only 24, but Utah's 27. 
how things go this year is going to affect the rest of his NBA career to me. And I don't know, like, I hope he gets a chance to, to kind of go back in the rotation and find, and find himself because he really needs this. Yeah. And I, I do think like why I don't, I, I think the answer, if we're looking for a solution here to the rotation issue and the, the minute distribution, the solution assuming that that's what you're trying to accomplish. The solution yeah. is to go out and add depth. Like the solution is not on the roster right now. The decision from nurse essentially is like, to your point, do you get more out of the six guys that you trust having already played 40 minutes and being exhausted and not having their mm. legs? Do you get more out of those guys or do you get more out of these guys coming off the bench that you don't trust? That's the decision and the dilemma right now. Um, I don't think the answer is on the roster currently, but of the answers that are currently on the roster, I think that Utah is probably the best. Yeah. And I, I think that he's probably the one that we end up seeing if, and when this rotation expands from seven or whatever it ends up being when the guy, when Trent and Birch get healthy, cause even that, right? Like those guys are going to come back and, and okay. So then you've got a, an eight or a nine man rotation, which is a playoff rotation, but it's not a regular season uh, rotation then what about Kem's lingering knee injury? What about the next injury that ends up happening? Then what yeah. do you do? So like, I think one way or the other, Utah ends up back in this rotation. Um, it's just a question of, when, are there additions yeah. that are made to it externally over the next three weeks? Yeah, and how many minutes is it going to be? It could potentially just be 10 minutes. You're in, you're out. And he does what he did last season. He comes in, is pedaled to the metal for every single second that he does, that he's out there. And then and if he plays well, he maybe it's 15 minutes or 18 minutes or whatever it is, because we know that nurse operates like that. It's like, give this guy a look. If it's yeah. not going well, then pull the plug real quick. And if it is going well, then then he ends up playing most of the second <laughs> yeah. half or fourth quarter. A natural pivot to the center position because, and we're going to wrap this up uh, very shortly, but I wanted to ask you about um, the center position because Preston Tatua, Ken Birch, Chris Boucher, is he a center? Is he not? Is he a power forward? Whatever he is. Um, they've all had kind of up and down roles with the Raptors, some because of injury, some because of performance. And starting with Precious, I would love to see him kind of understand, accept, and find his role with the Raptors. I think he struggled a little bit. He is a player that I think has that he believes he has a lot of different abilities on the NBA floor that he can, you know, you know, dribble, he can drive, he can hit jumpers, he can hit threes. And he's experimented with that a little bit. Maybe the Raptors have given him the opportunity to do so, but the results have been really mixed. And to the credit of a Chris Boucher, for instance, a player who also kind of struggled with the same thing, um, a big year for him, worked in the offseason to expand his game, to drive to the bucket, to hit threes, uh, contested threes, and so forth. Um, Achua's been very up and down, and I would love to see him accept his role, understand it, just like Chris Boucher has. And now Chris has kind of deviated back to what he was doing last season, and he's been very successful at it. Granted, he shouldn't have taken that three last night. That was a poor choice. He shouldn't have taken that shot against the Dallas Mavericks. He had a wide open three, but who knows? Maybe the Raptors were like, you guys are playing such heavy minutes. You guys got no legs anyway, so let's just try and hit a three now, end this in regulation because you guys, you guys aren't going to win in overtime. Anyways, your thoughts on Precious? Yeah, I like that connection there because I think the, the two guys that benefit most from role certainty on this team are, are Boucher and Achua, probably yeah. because they are in a lot of ways their own worst enemy where they, they know they can do a lot of different things on the floor. They probably think that they can do more things than they probably should be doing. Mm 
Um, but like, yeah, I mean, Boucher is a good example of it where he's had success offensively, maybe last year, if anything, last year's career season and the numbers that he put up for essentially I mean, like a bad team in Tampa, that was not a good team. He was putting up in a lot of cases, empty numbers that hurt him in a lot of cases this year coming to this season and thinking, okay, well, that's who I am now. And it's, it's not. And, and yeah. nurse kind of said that the other day too, that like, just because he can hit a three, just because he has hit threes, doesn't mean that that's his best the best shot at the NBA time, yeah. skill yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. or yeah. the best yeah. shot, like right? The first shot isn't the best shot. Um, with Achua, it's the same thing, only with Achua, you have less experience and reps to fall back on. So yeah, I mean, I think uh, Boucher is 29 now, but mm -hmm. um, he's still young in terms of like basketball years. So he's still learning and developing. We're seeing those steps from him where like, I think it was a few games ago, he passed up a, a pretty good look at the top of the arc to make the extra pass and find Scotty in the corner for a better yep. look. Um, that's not a play that he makes a year ago. Um, that's not a play that Achua probably makes now. But yeah, that's why you need, he needs reps in the same way Scotty does to, if nothing else, like the game has to slow down for him, right? And he's got to, acknowledge first he has to acknowledge and i think the self-awareness is there like i think he's got to acknowledge and he's talked about it this year less is more he's got to acknowledge the things that he needs to be doing and the things that he shouldn't be doing and then he needs the reps to be able to implement those things and to to mm -hmm. see the things on the court that quite frankly right now he's just not able to see he's not able to see the 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 read that he should be making and see the open man that yeah. the pass that he should be making um but I, I also think it's tough when so many of the minutes that he's played this year, like Boucher, are in situations where it's been like an unnatural role where he can justify in his mind a lot easier. Okay, well, I'm going to take this shot. I'm going to take this three. I'm going to put the ball on the floor and try to make this play because they need me to because this guy is in the lineup or this guy's in the lineup. So they need sure. me to make those plays right now. That's why I say like role certainty is really good for those guys. Achua has been at his best. Probably like he, he had that, the, the, what was it? Um, a shoulder injury. The first time he misses a few games, sits and watches Birch. Who's a good guy to learn from for him, by the way. Like, I think that's the role that they kind of need him to play in right now. Yeah. He comes back, plays next to Birch. And that was probably his best stretch of the season, just in terms of knowing his role. So yeah, I think like once Ken is back and if those two, they've, speaking of not getting a lot of time together, like they, they don't play together, but when they're active and available together, then they're both in their normal roles. I think like those are the reps that Achua needs more than the unnatural starter 30 plus minute. Yeah. 10 plus shot type of nights that he's had recently. Yeah. And he's actually talked about his, uh, how, well his chemistry has been with Ken Birch because Cam has been a willing teacher and Precious has been a willing learner and that's a great combination for for both of them um, with Precious yeah like the, the definition of the role would be helpful um, probably the injuries and being asked to do different things too right like there have been many nights where they might need Precious to you know kind of provide some offense and they've actually gone to him in some mismatches recently so that can be a little bit conflicting for a player like all right so what is determined to be a mismatch does a guy have to be like six three and that is my mismatch because i feel like i can get by this guy who's like six seven at the same time um with him like it's it's 
it's, it is very simple. I mean, it just depends on if he's willing to accept this. It's uh, getting down the floor quickly. It's running in transition. It's finding ways to, you know, finish in the pick and roll. Obviously you can finish a lob, but can you finish when you got to catch the ball, make a few moves and then finish and you get it taking some contact. That's a lot harder. Um, and then a bit of the mismatches, like he had a few shots where he did against Miami heat and it was great, but the, the tools are there for him and he's only 22 years old. You can see the physicality, the way he takes on every single matchup is amazing, right? He's not a, he's not scared of anyone. And so from that side, that's why Masai Ujiri was so excited to get him. So with him, I mean, I hope things work out for him this, uh, this season, it's going to be tricky because I think when Ken Birch does return, um, I want to ask you about this too, is like, what is Ken Birch's role? Because he is vital to this team. He just hasn't really been able to show it very extensively and for long stretches. Yeah. And the lingering knee injury, which by all Scary. accounts doesn't seem like it's going to go away anytime soon, which, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. that's not insignificant, especially for a player like Ken Birch who relies on like being able to, to go out there and do the little things and make the hustle plays. And he needs to be able to, one of the reasons why we talked about this earlier, why the Raptors like the idea of like, all right, let's be a little bit creative with how we address the center position is they bring in these guys that are mobile, versatile, can play their style of, of defense. Um, if Kem's knee isn't a hundred percent, if he's playing on one leg, it's, he's going to have a much tougher time doing that. Yeah. Um, he needs to get healthy. The broken nose, just like another Jesus. bad break, <laughs> fortunate timing. Yeah. That, like he, he really, it seems like he hasn't had any chance to get his rhythm and build any kind of momentum here this year. Um, and, and I don't think he looked great uh, after, after coming back from the injury. I don't, I don't think he was moving as well as we saw early in the year. So I, I don't know in terms of like, what the role looked like. We saw a very small sample of it where nurse was starting the small lineup, which I think is the plan going forward, right? Like he's talked about maybe mixing it up and, and playing the matchups against bigger teams. I don't know that he wants to do that so much. Like when they're at full strength, I think the idea is like, start your five best guys. Yeah. And that's tricky because the idea going into the season was like a platoon with Birch and Achua. I don't think you can play them together. Um, so what we were seeing, and I actually didn't mind this, what we were seeing was they'd start the, the, the five, your five best guys, essentially Barnes is your, I guess your quasi starting center. They would take him out of the game pretty quickly after like four or five minutes, Kem would come in. Um, so he gets essentially his full shift one, yep. his full yep. stint as yep. your backup center. And then he comes out and Precious is like your third center and, and Scotty would come back in as the backup point guard. And that sort of worked. Like I, I like the way that that I'm sure nurse did too. All of a sudden he had a real rotation and that might've been like the first time all year where it felt like he had a full and, and real rotation. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I hope uh, this, this works out for, for Ken, because I mean, you look at who he is and when it comes to the Raptors, like the mobility, like you said, is so important. Like, you know, getting hands in passing lanes, defending the pick and roll. He is by far their best big at doing that. He's shown that at different times this season, but how he's feeling is going to be very critical because if he's not the Kem Birch, uh, great rim protector, role acceptance, he's able to hit that short Jimmy um, in pick and roll situations with Fred Van Vliet. Now you're just like, well, now you're not exactly what we need anymore. And that is a huge detriment to the Raptors offense. Um, 
Chris Boucher, just pivoting to him for a second. He's performed amazing over the past little while, but if Ken Burch, Preston Chu, and Chris Boucher are all there, yes, this does fit kind of the mold and what the Raptors want to do, you know, having all these six, nine guys, but it does get a little bit crowded, but to his credit, and as we talk about with like a Svi or a Utah, you know, finding yourself in the NBA, this is a contract year for him. I think this stretch here has really helped him. Will he be a Raptor after the trade deadline? Yeah. It's it's a tough one. Yeah, you could make a case for both sides. If they really want to make the playoffs, I could see, you know, the way he's played, he's a benefit. He's a he's an asset to have on on the Raptors. But in the bigger picture, does he fit? I don't know. Once they brought in Preston Chua and Masai was so excited about, you know, the development and the project that he is. Do you need Chris Boucher now as well? And does Chris Boucher want to battle for minutes with someone else when he could probably find a role on a different team that will be solidified? He knows exactly what it is. He is the backup for three, whatever. And he can make himself like a lot of money, I think, in, in, the, in the open market if he's willing to you know, go away from the Raptors and find himself in the NBA. Well, good on him for, because you're right, like this is a big year for him in terms of his career and his next contract and what it's going to be, free agent, all that stuff. A lot of guys in his shoes would probably be saying, okay, like I'm coming off of a career year. I put up big numbers last year. I need to put up bigger numbers this year. And that yeah. might've been his mindset early in the year. And he's now realizing that, no, actually it might be better for me and my value if I hone in on this like very specific role. I'm an energy guy off the bench. Mm. And like, yeah, that might not be the path to like major, major free agent dollars but every team in the league could use a player like that and that's why like not exactly. only is he going to be an interesting yeah. player in free agency at, at this rate in the way that he's playing recently but yeah like Goran Dragic is the guy to keep an eye on um if the Raptors make a, a trade in which they they need a, a lot of salary mm -hmm. to match 19 plus or whatever like if it's a big blockbuster type of deal it's going to be Dragic uh, probably going back the other way, but Boucher's contract at like $7 million. If you're looking, if we're talking about like Terrence Ross type of player or like somewhere, yeah, 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 I'm not yeah. to say that you would even move Boucher for Ross, but like one of those middle mid tier contracts, $10 million, something like that. Boucher's got to go back pretty much because they don't really have anybody else in that salary Thanks. structure at that level. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, Early in the year, I would have said, well, what kind of value does he have just based on how poorly he was shooting and how rarely he was playing. But now that he's embraced this role, a role that, like I said, every team needs, winning team, losing team, whatever, sure. um, I, I think he's going to be a really interesting player at the deadline. And probably if, if he's not the most likely player to be moved, he's like 1B with Dragic being 1A at, like I said, very different levels of like how big is the trade that you're making. And if it is a blockbuster, it's Dragic, it's Boucher, Malachi Flynn, potentially, if a team is looking for a prospect, a backup or point guard that they want to take on, maybe it's him because there's no point having Delano and Malachi Flynn as your backup point guard for the future. Um, and I then a draft pick. pretty clear on how they feel about Flynn. I know, I know. Yeah, without saying anything, they've been very clear. Um, so something could potentially happen there. And I, I mean, even for Malachi Flynn, I hope something does happen because he's He's going to be a good NBA player. And I think he's got a bright future. It just may not be with the Toronto Raptors. So moving in, yeah, kind of finishing this up uh, with, with Josh. And thanks so much for your time. Looking at the schedule real quickly, hopes and dreams within that theme. Um, I would love to see the Raptors win one of those games against the Brooklyn Nets. 
um, when they're home and home series, February 28th, March 1st. I think that's uh, an interesting matchup for the Raptors, not just because it's a very good team, but those home and homes are very, very intriguing for coaches like Nick Nurse. I'm sure he's just like getting ready to kind of like start tinkering after that first game, because it's a nice experiment for players and to kind of look at, okay, so this is a case where a team is able to hone in on you, who you're going to be, kind of look at your tendencies. And for like a Scotty Barnes, you know, how are they going to match up with him? How are they going to change things up? How is Steve Nash going to do it in that second game? Kyrie Irving will, I guess, play in one of the games. So how are you going to match up with him? Like they match up pretty well with the Brooklyn Nets. And I want to see how the Raptors fair in that you know especially that second game you know how does scotty barnes respond how does pascal respond how does fred you know this is so much new experiences for all of the players in the role that they're in and how they respond to a team like brooklyn that is championship ready they got you know geez harden durant irving like they're patty mills i wish was a toronto raptor <laughs> how they respond to that second I game will be i love patty mills man as soon as they got him it's like you know he's going to be hitting open jumpers for them nonstop. He's so tough. He is your prototypical championship backup point guard. He knows exactly what he can do. He's a great playmaker. He plays defense. He hustles. He's a great teammate. Love Patty Mills. Would love to see him on the Toronto Raptors. He's a free agent, by the way, after this season. Um, Yeah, that's one that I would be really excited about. And also, I want to see the Raptors beat Kyle Lowry's Heat. I think that'd be really, really fun story. I don't know if Kyle's going to play in this first one. They play... um, February 1st, and they play again on April 3rd. I could see Kyle, you know, if things work out, he's like, I don't want to return to Toronto with zero, 500 fans, I, I guess. That's the, the new restrictions now. That's the new abilities for, the, for, for, uh, for teams. Um, it would be cool. Like, imagine a case where <laughs> Kyle Lowry is, the game's tight, and Kyle Lowry's dribbling down the court, and just like what happened with DeMar DeRozan in the Spurs, Kyle and Pascal poke him, and the Raptors <laughs> get a layup, and the Raptors win the game. So you want love for Kyle. You want, you know, the hugs, the kisses, the, the videos, the montages. But then you want a Raptors win. I think it'd be a great story. You know Kyle's taking a game-winning charge is, oh. is what's going to happen. <laughs> Pascal's already alluded to it, too. He's like, I hope to God I don't, he doesn't draw a charge on me. <laughs> I, oh, yeah, it, it's, it's not happening February 1st. I would be it's shocked right. if Kyle even makes the trip. I mean... I don't think it would have happened anyway. Like even if Miami had the day off before, if there's no fans in that building or partial fans in that building, which now we know for sure that there, there won't be full capacity. Not that, I mean, that, that was always a pipe dream, but we know now February 1st, there's not going to be a full house. Um, Knowing Kyle, the way that we know Kyle and understandably. So like if I was Kyle, I wouldn't want that to be my first game back either. I don't want the awkward, Sergi Baca video tribute with with crickets going on in the building like that's that was terrible good on Raptors game ops for not running the video tribute after seeing how that went not doing it for JV and it'll be interesting to see how they approach uh, Norm Powell's return on uh on Sunday Sunday. I was looking looking forward to that too by the way seeing Norm but yeah with Kyle especially of all returns you don't want to be running that video tribute in an empty arena and he wants and deserves to have to get that love from a, a 20,000 person sellout crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not going to happen February 1st. He'll, I'm sure, use the load management on the second night of a back to back to justify not being on there that trip. Um, 
And, and then it's just a question of what does April 3rd look like? So hopes and dreams for the second half of the season. I hope that, I mean, it, it doesn't, it seems like March is now the earliest that we could get full capacity. And even that might be wishful thinking, hopefully by April 3rd, it's a full house. We can get our Lowry return game this season. I don't think he wants to play against the Raptors until that happens. So let's see what happens on January 29th. If he can get out of that one. Yeah. Right. Um, he, uh, he missed the game um, the other day because of personal reasons. I hope everything is going okay uh, for him, but you know, the other part of it too, is the Miami heat. They got a season and you know, that number one seed would be really, really valuable for them more so than maybe the Milwaukee bucks or the Brooklyn nets, right? Because Brooklyn nets, yeah. who knows what Kyrie, but at the moment he can only play road games. So maybe you make yourself down to that fourth spot and just, <laughs> maybe that's how you, you do things. But uh, with the heat, I mean, they got something rolling. He's done a terrific job this season managing games without Bam and uh, and Jimmy because they've missed a lot of a lot of time. And the Lowry plus bench minutes, they've gone really, really well for the Heat. Uh, moving to that uh, April 3rd game, the night before, the Heat are playing the Bulls. Isn't that fun? So you got the Bulls on April 2nd. You got the Raptors on April 3rd. To your point, maybe he dodges both of those because he's like, when he com- comes back to Toronto, it's going to be a very emotional experience for him. Um, and it's gonna be emotional for the fans too. And doing it right, I think is really important. And God knows like he's not going anywhere, man. He's playing at an unbelievable level. He's aging so gracefully, kind of like Chris Paul. And he's gonna be back next year with the Miami Heat. Maybe you do it then. Uh, I, I just, I hope this isn't a Danny Green championship ring scenario where we're waiting <laughs> like 15 years and Kyle will still be playing in 15 years. Yeah. I just hope we're not Taking waiting charges. forever to get our Kyle Lowry return game. Yeah. Josh, uh, thanks so much for joining me today. Closing thoughts? Closing thoughts. I mean, I, like I said earlier, like I, I think the, the bar has changed, expectations have changed, and we, we have to change the way that we evaluate and we judge this team. Um, moral victory, like it, it, we, just have to, we just have to be a little bit more patient just in terms of yeah. Scotty and, and, and this team and, and the highs and the lows, and they're, they're going to be – wins like the game in Milwaukee where you're thinking how the hell did they win this game and they're going to be losses like the ones in like the one in Detroit where you're thinking how the hell did they lose this game I would just say like I'm trying my best to enjoy the 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 journey and like I said separate process from result I know that they're trying like Nurse and and Van Vliet like those guys are trying but it's easier said than done and you could sort of see some days when the frustration is wearing on them more than others and I, I guess like that would just be what I would encourage for everybody is try to enjoy this team because they're fun yeah. and they're they're competitive man like these last few games have been fun not the result anybody wanted and and yeah like disappointing to some degree I guess but there's been 44 lead changes in the last two games alone the Miami game and the Dallas game like this is fun basketball and a fun team so um I'm it's a very different type of season than a lot of the ones that I've covered in the past but I Mm -hmm. I'm I'm enjoying myself yeah. And you know, the champ experience, it wasn't great, but it also helped them get a Scotty Barnes and that's kind of shifted the the franchise's yeah. outlook for for years to come. You're absolutely right. Um, you got to enjoy this experience. I think it would be nice to have some certainty on what the Raptors are trying to do going forward and the trade deadline deadline will inform that a little bit, what they decide to do. Do they, you know, add a shooting guard to help them, you know, solidify a bit of their bench minutes? Do they trade 
Goran Dragic? Do they make something happen? Do they get a valuable asset in return? Is it just a buyout? Do they make very little moves? Is Chris Boucher still with the team? All these things are going to be informed over these next few weeks. And I think we don't hear from Bobby and Masai too much. We will after the trade deadline. Usually they, the, the GM or president, they will speak afterwards. And I think we'll learn more about what the intentions are of the Toronto Raptors. And that's going to help. But enjoy this experience. This is kind of part of the the learning experience for all of these players all of them are all the pl- core players are going through a new a new role within the Raptors offense and what they're going to be looking to do for the next few seasons and so this is going to be part of the lumps but I think you should appreciate that they've kind of found their identity that team that competes every single night that is in games that gets into you they were down going into that Mavericks fourth quarter right they were down and they yeah. found they scratched and clawed their way to make that game competitive a bucket here, a bucket there. Chris Boucher makes it three. Fred Van Vliet makes it three. Maybe they win that game. Now you have yourself a really impressive win against a high caliber squad. That's a good stepping stone. So Josh, uh, thanks so much for joining me. You can find him on TSN. Listen to the Raptors Beat podcast hosted alongside Nikki Reyes. And I hope everyone has a terrific day. 